Welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of Dark Concepts, a supernatural horror podcast written and read by me, Brian J. Cummings. So, hi. Uh, It's been a while since I left you back in May. Hopefully everyone's doing well, despite the insanity. Um, I wasn't aware of how much whacked out shit you can pack into a single year, but um, I guess we know now. (laughs) Um, I have a little update on some things. Uh, First of all is the never-ending story that is the first of my series of novels. That was, uh, you know, the one I was supposed to finish during my four-month break. Um, Yeah, so that didn't happen, but I did nearly finish it. It went from a draft being like 15 pages to over 180. So that's like 74, I think it was like 74,000 words. So there was progress made. Um, At least I can say that. Uh, the next update is the collection of short stories that I was supposed to release on October 13th. It's all the stories from the first season of this show. That isn't going to happen either. Um, unfortunately, (laughs) as soon as I get a time frame on the release of that, I shall let you know. Um, but yeah, uh, all that aside, it's October It's time for the ghosts to come out, and so I am here with more tales conjured from the witching hour. The story I have for you this time is actually the prequel to one of my first stories. If you haven't listened to episode 3 from the first season called The Withering Tree, it might be a good idea to stop this now and actually go check that out for some context, especially for the ending of this one. But yeah, uh, so with that, let's get into it. The horrors of World War II were enough to keep anyone up at night, especially those who fought through it. For Walter Locklear, it seems the horrors he had experienced in France didn't end with the war. The Withering Woods June 15th, 1956 The horrors of the war will be something I can never unsee. Those moments of fear and anguish are etched permanently into the walls of my mind, constantly replaying whenever I let my guard down. So here I am, after another sleepless night, attempting to empty my head of these horrible visions and thoughts, as I was told to do. The doctor said writing down what's keeping me awake may possibly help, so here goes. Most of what I see is replaying of the past what I went through during the war mostly which is bad enough but some of what I see or not and every nightmare ends in the same way something yet to come I do believe what I experienced in the misty woods of northern France was something that cannot be explained at least with our current methods of science and overall understanding of the world at this point in time My name is Walter Locklear, and this is my tale. I'll begin at the point in which my nightmares always seem to start. At the point at which I am fleeing through a foggy woods and getting separated from my detachment during a firefight with the Nazis. I remember hearing the shouts of the enemy soldiers, not being able to understand what they were saying, as their voices echoed through the woods around me. There was a point in which I dropped down as I heard machine gun fire spraying lead all around me, the bullets whizzing past my ears and lodging in the trunks of trees. 
I was clasping my rifle, an M1 Garand, as it were a life preserver on a turbulent stormy sea, because that's exactly what it was like in that moment. I knew I wasn't going to make it out of this, and I remember checking myself constantly to make sure I wasn't hit. Sometimes you didn't know until your guts were spilling out, the damn adrenaline running thick in your blood. As I ran my hands over my chest, I felt the old coin in my pocket. It was an old family heirloom, something my grandmother had told me to keep with me. She said it would keep me safe, as it did my great-grandfather during the war between the states back in 1862, during the absolute bloodbath that was Antietam. It was an old coin, much, much older than the American Civil War. As I hold it now, it looks to be possibly Roman or Greek in origin, but I can't tell. The thing is possibly priceless and worth a fortune to some collector, and there I was, running around with it in my breast pocket on a battlefield in France. As the bullets lodged themselves in the tree trunk mere inches from my head, I remember wondering why the hell I even worried about bringing in the damn thing. All I knew was at that time, the cold steel making up the barrel of my rifle was a hell of a lot more substantial than some old coin. I heard voices, speaking German, in the approach of footsteps. Some of them were laughing. They were getting close and I clasped my gun tight, feeling my heart racing, pulsing through my fingers and toes. I took a breath and leaned around the edge of the tree, firing off two shots, the loud cracks of the rifle echoing off the trees. I saw one of the Nazis drop, a rare headshot as pieces of the man's head exploded like a melon, and I returned to my cover position as the enemy returned an overwhelming amount of fire. I will remember that horrid sight forever, the way that man's head practically disintegrated. It was a stupid decision on my part, I'll have to admit. There were at least nine of them in their little squad, and only one of me, alone and separated, and the one of my precious eight shots in my grand's clip went sailing off hitting nothing but mere fog and tree bark. To be frank, I was up shit creek and fell out of the damn boat. I did the only thing I could do in that situation and took off running, weaving through the trees, doing my best to avoid the flying lead from their rifles, a consistent cacophony of ear-ringing chaos. I couldn't hear anything else as I dipped and twisted around low-hanging branches, some of which were blasted off as I moved to duck below them. Oh, I knew I was dead meat then and there. There was no getting out of this without some form of backup. With those two shots, I practically signed my own death certificate, and now I only had six left. I hadn't realized it, but the fog around me had become much denser, and was possibly the only thing keeping my simple ass alive. Or could it be the coin? I had hardly noticed that the sounds of my pursuer's rifles were now beginning to fade away. Something strange had been happening to the trees as I ran further and further through the thickening fog. The air was heavier here, and it almost stifled my breath as I ran from tree to tree, still attempting to use them for cover. It was then that I got my first good look at them. The bark was not brown at all, but now becoming pale and smooth, almost flesh-like, and cold, as weird as it sounds. The look of them was unnatural. It was when the thought arose of the translucent bruised skin of a long-dead corpse that I heard the first agonized scream echoing through the forest. 
Compared to the rifles, the scream seemed somehow louder as it cut through the eerie quiet. I turned to look, but fell forward, my foot caught in a root, and came crashing hard to the ground. I scrambled to get back up, grabbing my rifle, and turned toward the sound of footsteps fast approaching. As I did, a Nazi soldier burst from the fog, running in my direction. I tried to get my weapon up in time, but I knew it was too late. He had me. Or he would have, if he had been trying to kill me. Instead, the man ran right by me as I lifted my rifle, bayonet poised to attack. He fled, whimpering and disappearing into the fog. I stood there for a moment, panting and trying to understand what had just happened. I had seen the man's eyes, but it took me a moment to recognize the pure, unthinking terror I saw there. The man wasn't worried about fighting. He was trying to flee. Turning, my foot caught the same route, but when I looked down, I saw that it was no root, but a bone sticking out of the soil that had stopped my flight. It looked to be a human femur. This should have frightened me much more than it did, but days earlier I had taken part in the invasion of Normandy, and that salty trudge through quite literal hell had exposed me to several lifetimes worth of horror, so I didn't think too much of seeing a single bone sticking out of the dirt. I decided to run in the opposite direction, which I was hearing the other soldiers heading, in hopes of slipping away from them. More and more screams began to erupt from the forest. I couldn't understand why they were screaming like that. If I found myself out in the woods during a thin fog, I could still hear those screams. Haunting, animalistic screams. The kind you hear from a slaughterhouse. That's why I don't hunt very much anymore. I kept running, as hard as I dared, not caring about how much noise I was making because those men were making enough sounds with their dying. It was because I was running so hard that I didn't see what caused me to trip yet again. I rolled and my gun fired, cracking loudly through the fog. I got to my feet as quickly as I could, reaching for my rifle yet again, but when my eyes leveled at what I tripped over, my body grew numb. It was a little girl, possibly around nine or ten years old. She was dead, dead for a few days at least, her skin mottled in gray, damn near resembling the trees. Now, I saw a lot of killing in my time during the war, but that little girl was possibly the most devastating thing I had ever seen. I remember her cloudy eyes were wide open, her mouth frozen in a snarling grimace as if in the midst of unimaginable pain. Then the eyes turned to meet mine. I stumbled backward into one of those trees. The cold fleshiness of its surface sent a spike of revulsion through my veins. I pushed myself off it, only to see another corpse lying at the base. This one was of a teenage boy. I looked down upon him in horror at the state of which some animal had eviscerated and disemboweled him. Then, the corpse let out a deafening, hollow scream that radiated down to my bones, nearly causing me to wet myself. The girl began to scream in the same awful way, and I saw to my horror that all the other trees had corpses beneath them. They were all teenagers or kids, some of them not much younger than me, 
and they were strapped to the trees with rusty, deteriorating chains. They groped and reached for me through the fog as I tried to distance myself from them. In my panic, I barely noticed the dark figure emerging from the fog. The thing was tall, willowy, wearing a black shroud that fluttered in some wind that I could not feel. Two curved horns stood pronounced on its head as it glided towards me, making no sound that I could hear. Instinctively, I brought the gun up and managed to fire two shots into it. The rifle shots sounded muffled, as if underwater. The bullets which were fired at point-blank range had no effect. It was my turn to scream as the thing, whatever it was, sent something sharp and deep into the right side of my chest. I remember looking at its face, trying to look into the eyes of the thing that was going to ultimately kill me. But for the life of me, I can't remember what I saw. The only thing I remember is the searing pain in my chest from being stabbed, where at the time that's what I thought it had happened. The thing began to let loose an earth-shattering roar before it began to back away, and a bright light appeared at the burning spot in my chest. Flames erupted across the breast of my uniform, and I dropped to the ground in a panic that was entirely different from being killed by something that shouldn't exist. When I did so, the coin fell to the ground, and I picked it up noticing now that one side had been charred black. The thing, still gripping its hand, bellowed at me in some language that I couldn't recognize, the ground quaking from it. I got to my feet, prepared to run, but the creature didn't lunge or give chase. It just stood there, clutching at its smoldering hand. I heard a voice far off, a woman's voice. She was calling my name, whoever it was. I backed away slowly from the creature, careful to avoid the still-clutching corpses of the children, and followed the voice through the thick fog. The corpse-like trees began to groan then, their branches swaying subtly at first, but soon lashing out with enough force to throw me down. I remember the fog thickening even further, and the groaning trees, the horrifying sight of the branches swinging before me. My throat had almost constricted because of the thickness that hung in the air. And then, it was all gone. The heaviness, the fog, even the voice. The trees were normal now. Tall pine trees again. No groaning, no swinging, no corpses. I found myself at the edge of the forest. The sky was a sheet of gray, and the light fog lined the horizon. Through it, I could just make out a group of soldiers coming my way over the field in the olive drab of their uniforms. It was my lost contingent. I remember heading out to meet them, but instead of being greeted by disbelief, as I had in reality, in my dream I found myself standing out there alone in the same spot where I had found the soldiers, and a darkness had fallen over the field. I was surrounded by small patches of blazing fires in the distance, and I could hear things moving about unseen. Then I see the bodies. Thousands upon thousands of corpses lie in the field, and I could just make out some of their broken and decomposing faces. I never know who it is, but a woman is standing beside me. A woman cloaked in a black shroud. I like to believe that this woman is the one who called me through the woods, the one who had led me to safety, but I cannot be sure. 
Something tells me that she's tied to this coin somehow. Or perhaps tied to me. She accompanies me at the end of the replaying of my experiences in the misty, horror-filled woods. Always telling me the same thing. Your world lies at the brink of desolation. Heed not the warnings or a realm of death and shadows await you all. It's then that I can just make out the thing shambling amongst the corpses and just bringing it to mind almost stills my heart. It's that heart-stopping fear that grips me upon waking in a torrent of gasping breaths. I'm not sure if I wake screaming as I live alone, now separated from my wife. I clutch the coin, hoping that I never have to use the opposite side. But knowing that it's always there, should I need it. Editor's Note The last page of the diary was splattered with blood, and only one sentence was scrawled there with enough force to rip through the paper. It read, You are the shadow you fear. You will carve your world's undoing. Walter Locklear was found dead in his locked cabin a month after the century, and the coin he spoke of was never recovered by authorities. Though the body was already in advanced stages of decomposition, the ink of the crudely scrawled text in the open journal was fresh, as if it had been penned moments before their forced entry. If you ever wanted to start your own podcast, I'll say from personal experience, Buzzsprout is a great way to go about it. I've been with Buzzsprout from the start and am extremely happy with the results. If you're like me and don't know the ins and outs of anything to do with podcasts or what you'll need to start one, they'll have you covered. Buzzsprout has tons of resources to help you get your ideas off the ground. Two of my favorite features are the analytics on my podcast webpage and how seamless it is to place audio players of all my episodes onto my Squarespace website. Following the link in the show notes below lets Buzzsprout know that I sent you and gets you a $20 Amazon gift card and help support the show. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, leave a positive rating, a review, and subscribe if you want. Um, to explore these concepts further, just or just keep up on what's happening with the podcast or any of my written works, brianjcummings.com is a great way to connect and learn more about what's going on behind the scenes, as well as read the stories in a type format. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook, where for the month of October, I'm going to be releasing a two-sentence horror story every day. Next week, I shall return with another story channeled from the darkness of the witching hour. So until then, keep a candle nearby, because you never know when the lights will go out. Logan woke with a start. The room was a sea of darkness, but a light scratching sound was cutting through the silence. He looked at his phone to see the time was nearly two in the morning. He got up, switching on his bedtime lamp, sending a dim light across the sparse studio apartment. Blinking, he groggily walked over to the desk where the sound was coming from, and he wondered if it was just some weird hallucination. Logan pulled the small top drawer open and saw something astonishing. 
even in his half-awake condition. An incredibly old coin, some collector's item he had held on to, was stored there amidst other random knickknacks and junk. The coin was charred black on both sides, a chemical burn from the looks of it. The coin was standing upright and spinning on its edge. Logan stared at it in disbelief. There was a vague memory about some awful tree and a girl that he had associated with the coin, but the memory was muddled. A thought that seemed to flit in and out of sight as soon as he tried to zero in on it. The coin had come from his grandmother, and she had told him that the coin had saved his grandfather during World War II, though at the time he didn't believe it. He wasn't sure he believed it now, up until this moment. It was too early in the morning for this shit, he thought as he went to stop the coin, but it instantly flew into the air. As he watched it, the burnt coin seemed to catch the light of the bedside lamp. The flicker of the light grew to a blinding blaze of searing gold that caused him to close his eyes, leaving an imprint there, as if he had just stared at the sun. Squinting, he caught the coin, mid-flip, and opened his hand to see that the coin's surface was now clear of the burn, and the tail side shone up at him. It was shiny now, as if it had just been freshly minted. The image of a tri-faced woman standing, holding a torch in one hand, and a key in the other. He read the word minted to one side and felt a searing heat radiate up his arm. It wasn't a painful heat, just powerful and not something he was ready for at two in the morning. He remembered everything. The girl he had saved, his sister Julia, who had died 19 years ago. It had been 10 years since the time at the withering tree, the night he had shot dead all those cult members, except the one that got away. He also remembered the face of the thing that had nearly driven him mad, and felt a cold bite of panic ripple through him. The being of shadow with a pale face that he could only bring forth in horrible bits and pieces, never making up a hole. Jagged teeth, a drooping snout, sunken eyes of searing flame, and tall, jagged horns. The coin was incredibly warm, and seemed to flicker like a candle flame in his palm, bringing him back to the moment. A power seemed to thrum from within it. He could almost see it rippling in the air around his hand, like heat off the hood of a car in the summertime. The word inscribed into the coin was something he couldn't read, but a word resonated in his mind. Hecate. Hadn't that been the Greek titan associated with magic and witchcraft? He remembered that from somewhere. The coin thrummed again, sending heat down his arm and assuring heat. What the hell is he supposed to do with a coin? The voice came to him then, not a ghostly voice, but a voice from his deep past. It was his sister. She had been handing him something, a spare coin for an arcade on the boardwalk when they were kids. It's dangerous to go alone. Take this. It was a line from the original Legend of Zelda game a game series she had been obsessed with. Was he supposed to go on a quest now? What did all this mean? 
Before he could think any further, the lamp beside his bed went out. During the absolute bloodbath, 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 the fuck?